You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience, your no group think zone, powered by Blaze Media. It is the last day in February, early Thursday morning. And, you know, I really wanted to put out a show every day this week. Um, I'm sorry I missed yesterday. Just too much was going on. And no, it wasn't the freaking Cohen hearing. I didn't even watch it, except for just the clip of Chip Roy, of course, saying how stupid it was and how we have more important things going on with this country, like cartels taking over our country, illegal immigration, the debt, healthcare, freedom. Really appreciate that. If you if you want to know the summary of the hearing, just watch Chip Roy. Okay, that's all you need to watch because it's meaningless. It's terrible people doing terrible things terribly to each other, as Steve Dace always says. Um, This guy hires a corrupt person who then turns on him, and then we feel bad for him, but he shouldn't have hired him, and now everyone's all distracted. And you know what? I think the phony conservative media and phony Republican Party actually likes it because they want to focus on nonsense because they don't want to focus on their failures, on how when it comes to immigration, health care, and the debt, And judicial supremacism, which is the glue that holds everything together, what the judiciary is doing to this country on all those issues, including voter fraud, including election law, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters until these issues are dealt with, and Republicans, of course, continue to empower them. So we got a lot on the agenda, tons of things more important than the dumb Cohen hearing. Tons of things more important. And I think, gosh, you know, we we need we need a number of shows to deal with all these issues. But I just want to say from the onset. I've been watching different comments about my my articles, stuff I've put out stuff Senator Hawley has put out about Naomi Rao, this uh, establishment pick for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. I was listening to just different people in a meeting today. And the problem is too many people in our movement just don't get it. They're too in the weeds, 50 tranches, into judicial hell that they don't realize that we've lost the battle. They just don't get it. They, they read everything like a legal brief. Well, uh, I don't know. Where's your proof that she's so uh, bad? And like, you don't get it. Politics is an art. It's not a science. Stop being Amelia Bedelia. It's very simple. I hate to keep coming back to this, and I'm not going to stick on the Naomi uh, nomination so much for today, but I'm going to use it as a springboard to talk in general about the judiciary before we get on to other issues. And that is, we don't have 
the confidence that she's good on any of our issues like libertarians have that she's good on administrative law. And nobody could answer that. Because it's the soft bigotry of low expectations. When you don't have your own roadmap, when you don't have your own destination, the only metric you have to measure your success is relative to someone else. Well, it's better than a Democrat. Well, if a Democrat would be doing this, it would be even worse. But that's how we get worse and worse. Well, at least we don't have the Green New Deal. At least we don't have Medicare for all. Well, how about let's fight affirmatively for what we want on health care, on energy, on environment, on spending, on immigration, on the role of the judiciary. And then we won't inexorably keep marching towards where the Democrats want us to. This is what we do. We agreed to the first 10 premises of illegitimate governance from them. We ignore it. We won't fight it. We actually countenance every premise of it. But then we're like, all right, well, we got to fight something way out. And then eventually we wind up getting it anyway because then we're fighting the next thing and the next thing. We're always fighting the next thing while losing the previous thing and then losing the next thing. What do I mean by this? Today, you had oral arguments in the Supreme Court in the Bladensburg Cross, Memorial Cross case. So Bladensburg is in my home state of Maryland. It's PG County, Maryland, where you had this 100-year-old Memorial Cross uh, to memorialize some local uh, World War soldiers that were killed in World War One, And it stood for 100 years. And a random piece of garbage... Um, some sort of atheistic group was able to get standing because, of course, everyone could get standing to rule on a political issue because, of course, courts are the greatest common factor of legislatures and executives rather than being neither force nor will of either of them. And a jerky district judge in Maryland plus the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that suddenly this cross is unconstitutional because it violates the Establishment Clause establishing a national religion. Now, the the courts have been attacking many aspects of the religious fabric of this country, whether it's symbols, whether it's public prayer, multiple different avenues. So now what typically happens is the Supreme Court allows this stuff to percolate forever, allows them to shut down our culture forever, and they'll pick the most egregious case of the lower courts and they'll take it up and usually we'll win on it. So everyone's talking about how based on oral arguments, it should be clear that we definitely have at least the five votes. You know, we have Roberts and Kavanaugh and certainly the other three. And we're going to win this case. But is that winning? I mean, look, it's better having it than not having it. I'm just saying it's a defensive victory. It's not like we're striking down their stuff or something. It's a defensive victory where they should never even have us on the ropes, never win in the lower courts. So we're going to at least defend it. But they're missing the forest from the trees. The fact that we even have to fight to the death for three years to get a defensive victory 
on one ev- to shut down just one avenue of the hundred illegitimate avenues the atheistic groups have to subvert and bastardize the establishment clause a hundred miles down the field from where it was, that we have to defend our legacy shows we've already lost. Here's, a th- here's what they don't understand. It's the same thing on immigration. It's the same thing on every issue. Takes forever for the courts to bring up, take up the issue, the Supreme Court from the lower courts. Even then, they pick the most egregious case. See, like, let's say I pick their strongest case, so then everything weaker falls off, right? And we win. But if I only pick their weakest case, well, okay, fine. So you're allowed to have an inanimate object that is religious in nature, and that's okay. But public prayer to open up a county council meeting? No, that you can't do. See, this is not going to end it. Oh, man, Daniel, we might get a victory. I got news for you. In 2013, we had a really big victory. It was called Town of Greece v. Galloway. It was 5-4, to four, and the author of the opinion was none other than Anthony Kennedy. It was a case, one of these cases of a county government, city government, opening up with... um public prayer, opening up their meeting with public prayer. And uh, the Supreme Court just said, hey, this is this is totally fine. I mean, what are you talking about? We've done this since our founding, and you know, as long as you're not coercing someone, you know, using the boot of law to force someone into prayer, it's, it's totally fine. Right? As long as you're not, quote, to not coerce participation by non-adherence, you're fine. Quote, to hold that invocations must be non-sectarian would force the legislature sponsoring prayers and the courts deciding these cases to act as supervisors and censors of religious speech. That's what Kennedy wrote. It was in, it was in 2014, Town of Greece v. Galloway. So we thought that after all these years, we finally solved that. But no, I mean, they came back with 50 million cases that they're winning. Because again, it's one directional. Heads they win, tails they win. One way street, dead end for conservatives. The lower courts, liberal lower court judges could always come back for more, whereas conservative judges on the lower court will always follow bad Supreme Court precedent. It's a one way street. So, yeah, I mean, it would be nice to reaffirm the ground we had in town of Greece v. Galloway. But it's not going to stop this. It's not going to cut out the cancer. It's not like it's not like suddenly. You know, we're going to have, I mean, maybe Thomas will say this, but you're not going to have a five-judge ruling on, you know, what what the truth should be to rip out the cancer. In other words, what would that look like? It would look like something like this. A, there's no standing. Okay, A, there's no standing. If you weren't coerced into anything, there's no standing. Objects and prayers don't hurt you. Oh, I, I, feel, I feel stigmatized. No, no, no. That's not what our founders envisioned with Article 3 standing. That's not a justiciable case. So even a legitimate violation of the Establishment Clause, unless it really had a cognizable harm to, a, to an individual that has the right to bring a case, you don't have the right to bring a case. That's number one. And number two on the merits, the Establishment Clause, first of all, even the legitimate Establishment Clause does not apply to the states. 
and local government. That's first of all. It's only the federal government. Even if you believe in the incorporation doctrine, that the Bill of Rights is incorporated against the states, um, that's only the individual rights, not something like the Establishment Clause. So it doesn't even apply to the states. But even what applies to the federal government, it's very simple. It means what it means. Don't just establish that our official religion of America is Presbyterian, Methodist. Okay, Anything short of that is not a problem. It's either that or, as Madison said, coercing um, – I don't have the quote in front of me – but when they when he talked about um, the First Amendment during the first House debate on it in uh, 1790, he just said, very simple, it, it means as long as you're not coercing anyone to violate their, their religion. Right? So if I say, okay, you don't believe in Jesus, but you have to pray in the name of Jesus, well, that that violates the Establishment Clause. But if you know a county council just says it on their own and doesn't, you know, you, you, you don't have to listen. You don't have to attend. You don't have to utter the words. You don't have to say amen. Right. That, that That's just stop it. Right. It, but I'm just telling you as much as people are hoping it's going to be a real categorical ruling, it's never going to be categorical enough to shut this down. So really I should be happy. I mean, think about it. I'm not speculating. This already happened. The Fourth Circuit said that a North Carolina county, Rowan County, cannot open up its session, council session, with prayer. Even though the Sixth Circuit ruled the right way differently, so there's a circuit split, Supreme Court denied cert, did not take up the case. Clarence Thomas just, you know, <clears throat> took a sledgehammer to his <clears throat> fellow judges not wanting to take up the case. Gorsuch joined him <clears throat> for whatever reason the others didn't. Clearly not Roberts. And I'm just telling you that this is Roberts' game. And I think to a certain extent you're going to see Kavanaugh play is similar. I don't know in this case, but <clears throat> in many other cases we've seen where he'll take up like the most egregious part of what the left is doing, but leave the other parts intact. If you're counting on the current Supreme Court to save us from judicial supremacy as a shortcut to doing what we need to do, which is to completely delegitimize the notion that their rulings are binding as a political rule over us, and we need to rebel against them, But if that's your thing, I got news for you. It's as effective as doing surgery on a a brain tumor and taking out 40% of the tumor. Heck, it's as effective as taking out 90% of the tumor. That's, you know, if you don't take it all out pretty much, in most cases, within a few months, it's worthless. It comes back. That's what we're seeing with this lower court cancer. But, but, you know, that's the thing. We're happy because we're like the frogs in boiling water. We've become so acculturated to it. It's so normal now as a given that anyone could get standing. Anyone could put injunctions on our history, our legacy, our immigration laws, our election laws, our, our, our common sense abortion regulations, marriage, sexuality, prayer, 
religious symbols, whatever it is, our, our legacy, our traditions, our history. And then we get a couple of little crumbs and parcels back from the Supreme Court. We're like, yay, we won. We're, we're winning. We're, we're turning over the courts. Meanwhile, we've agreed to the rest of the illegitimate premise. Just, just today, another case, another death penalty case in Alabama, John Roberts joined with the liberals and basically remanded a case back indefinitely putting an, a yet another death penalty on hold because they say the guy has dementia. This is the problem. Here's what we're doing now. We're, it takes 25 to 30 years. It used to be like 10, 15. Now we're up to like 25 to even do anything. Is this the due process that our founders envisioned? I'm all for constitutional due process. But what libertarians and certainly liberals have come up with, with criminals, is not, you cannot tell me this is our history and tradition. It's a new, don't wrap yourself in the constitution. You want to say it's your own newfangled crap? Fine. Don't tell me that, oh, you're for the Constitution. Constitution has these protections. No, it doesn't. 25 years of this stuff. And then what happens is the guy gets sick or we forget about the heinous butchering of, of, a, of a human being that the guy did. So now it's more about a zero-sum game of sympathy for that guy, not, not, not what he did. Sometimes they get dementia. So in this case, all they're saying is dementia, so therefore it's a violation of Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment. Everything is cruel and unusual punishment. And that's what we're dealing with now. Kavanaugh, um, this predated him. So, you know, he didn't take part in the proceedings. You know, he already screwed us on one case. So that's something we have to watch. But there's no way to tell here because he wasn't involved. Um, here's where we are. By the way, another 200 illegal immigrants crossed into Sunland Park, New Mexico. That's not Hidalgo County that we've been covering. That's more near um, uh, Dona uh, Ana. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, where Las Cruces is, right outside of, um, right outside of uh, El Paso. So there's that. We'll we'll, uh, we'll get to that. But anyway. I just wanted to go over this with the courts. This is what these people don't understand. So, like, they can't understand why I'm not happy with their nominees and why, like, oh, what do you see? They just don't get it. Oh, well, at least uh, they didn't agree to do this. None of this is legitimate. None of this, we, we, we shouldn't acquiesce in a seat to any of this stuff. And again, these very people pushing some of these nominees and strategies on the judiciary still refuse to admit that we have some problems with Kavanaugh. I'm not saying he's a suitor. I don't think he is. But that's a straw man. That in itself is a relative. Again, when you don't have your own your own uh, destination, your own affirmative goals, you just judge yourself by the soft bigotry of low expectations. Well, um... At least it's not a suitor. Okay, really? Okay, fine. After so many years, we've grown as a movement that we've stopped suitors. But, well, I, I want, shouldn't we only get Thomases? Don't be greedy, Daniel. 
I thought we said we wanted originalists. Well, not that originalist. They're all saying like, everyone's criticizing me. You want a litmus test, Daniel? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say it publicly, but I mean, privately, I think we kind of want to know the person enough. We're not going to ask her, what are you going to do on this case? What are you going to do in that case? But you better believe we need to get her philosophy straight up on plenary power doctrine. On the, you know, I have 15 questions I put out for Gorsuch and Kavanaugh that we have no answers on. We never, we never found out. We should know where they stand. Look, I don't believe in all of this. I believe we need to go back to what the court should be. That we don't view every political ruling they give as binding, as the law of the land. When they erroneously grant standing or have a flawed opinion. That you use the states and the other two branches to push back when you know they got it wrong. Or that they're just seizing power in, in itself. So I don't care. You can appoint anyone you want, frankly. You want to rule from the court we have to cut everyone's balls off? Fine. You can say whatever you want. As Hamilton would say, you have neither force nor will to, to, to enact it. But, it. but if you are going to countenance this notion that they are the law of the land, Everything, there's nothing they can't do. Even things that explicitly the Constitution and our founders and, and, and the courts themselves for the first 200 years of this country said that the federal judiciary has no avenue to get involved in or a very limited avenue, that they could just suddenly say, no, actually, we are the sole and final arbiter of every political issue. We have now made elections moot because we are going to determine the outcome of every political and social question. And indeed, we're going to make it that conservatives can't even win elections because we're going to now rule. And I'm going to get to this in a minute. We're going to now rule that they can't do anything to combat voter fraud or um, non-citizens voting. So therefore, ha, 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 Democrats always win elections. I mean, really? This is what we've agreed to. And this is what these Federalist Society, Judicial Crisis Network type of people have, have agreed to. It's all about appointing better judges. So then, I mean, if that's all what it comes down to, shouldn't we be confident that these are our best picks? Stop Daniel with the litmus tests. Okay. All right. But anyway, that's the stupidity. That's the stupidity. That we have such low expectations. We just don't get it. Look no further than election law. Late yesterday, uh, some of you might have seen my Twitter feed. If you haven't seen it yet, federal judge rules there's no widespread voter fraud in Texas. If you remember, we reported a couple of weeks ago on the Texas Secretary of State flagged 95,000 names for citizenship status review, where basically they found where you know you had people that are registered to vote that we know used immigrant identification. 
Now, it could be by now some of them became citizens and are legitimate to vote. But the problem is that's not that's not Texas's fault. The same courts that are not allowing us to do retrospective cleaning of the rolls, they they're blocking a prospective way of just, you know, the clean the cleanest way of doing this is just saying to register to vote, you have to just show proof of citizenship. I mean, isn't that like I mean, we have to fight for something like that, and we can't even fight for it. We're losing it. They don't allow that. So now what they're doing is they have a very clear process where they're calling upon the counties to send notices to people to um, just show your to, – to update their status. U.S. District Judge Fred Byrie, so as a Clinton appointee, he called it a mess – and again, he had all these like all these um political statements as Robert Fulgham taught in all I need to know I really learned in kindergarten, always put things back where we found them and clean up our messes. And he accused the Secretary of State of clear, clear, creating a mess. He says perfectly legal naturalized Americans were burdened with what the court finds to be ham-handed and threatening correspondence. It's it, it's not a burden. We need to make sure not a single citizen is non-citizen is voting, and we prima facie have evidence that clearly thousands weren't citizens when they registered to vote. What else, what, more, what more do you want? That's a minimum burden that we could place on them. Everything is a burden. And he said that no county nor the Secretary of State could continue along this and take anyone off the voter rolls without his permission. <laughs> I mean, th- th- this is a constitu- constitutional crisis beyond imagine. Beyond our imagination. How we, we, have, uh, we, we have come so far as frogs in boiling water that we don't bat an eyelash. It's not even going to be news. All these cases, every day I report on it. It's not news. There's nothing a single district judge could say. And the and, and this tragedy is we have, to my knowledge, we have not lost a single case in the Supreme Court. I don't remember. There's been a lot of bad Supreme Court rulings, but not an election law. But it, none of this stuff has ever made it there. Think for years how Texas had to fight for photo ID. And finally, you know, the Fifth Circuit said it's, it's crap what the, what the district judges did. But it took years. These random district judges, even, even in Texas where you have a better circuit, and they have to sit and deal with this. I just don't get it. But again, nobody in this vaunted conservative legal movement is dealing with this. Let's just cut to the chase and have judges vote. Because that's what they're doing anyway. Let's just have them vote for us instead. Why have elections? And, you know, like, th- this is the difference between me and other people. Other people will sit and dissect this and, like, beard stroke, okay, uh, you know, get all into the, you know, legalese. But we are so far beyond that. Yeah, on, yesterday, on, on yesterday's show, we talked about a case where you could really get into academic debate. You know, certain separation of powers questions between Congress and executive branch were legitimate people you could debate. But there are things that are so far beyond when we say, 
The courts now babysit sovereignty and immigration. They babysit election law. Are you kidding me? Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 says very clear that states have control over methods of registration, times, methods, and procedures of elections. Hamilton said in Federalist 59, only extraordinary circumstances would Congress get involved. The federal courts have no avenue to get involved, right? unless they're just straight up not allowing people to vote that legitimately could vote. During the floor debate, Senator Jacob Howard said, the second section of the, the 14th Amendment leaves the right to regulate the elective franchise still with the states and does not meddle with that right. This is our heritage. This is our drafter of the 14th Amendment. And, but, but we've countenanced the notion that they could get involved in 10 tranches, so now they, they, they got it all. But none of this is legitimate. States have full control over election law. And certainly when they're prima facie, you know, they're not just saying, hey, you, you're a non-citizen, out. They're taking people that clearly had non-citizenship documents and sending them a letter. How else could they guard their citizenship? This is exactly what, what's wrong with this libertarian-leaning right type of phony right legal movement, that they're so into more rights, more rights. This is what, is it, what I was talking about, that when you create more rights, you're creating less rights. As Calvin Coolidge said, you can't get more progressive, more enlightened than our founders were because you're detracting. You're stealing the sovereignty and citizenship and franchise of everyone else. It's unbelievable. It's just completely unbelievable. Yeah, but it all gets back to these garbage decisions like Baker v. Carr and, you know, the Warren era. And now everyone agrees to that. Now the law of the land is the, the last radical court opinion becomes the new baseline. And again, you could always expand on that. You could always break precedent to get more liberal, but you can never get back to what the freaking framers of the Constitution and the 14th Amendment themselves said. Somehow that's in inadmissible. So I'm just sick of this notion we're getting crushed in the courts and these people are whistling past the graveyard. But anyway, that's the story with the courts before I go on more. I'm just so pissed off. Um... And, 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 and whatever. By the way, another another big immigration news, 53 illegal aliens arrested in the Big Bend sector. That's West Texas. That's a big deal. That was the area where nobody would come. So you see they are going out farther. They are going out farther. Even in the most remote area. So you see they're looking for more areas. We warned about this. As they step up enforcement... Go and watch for them to move to places where we didn't previously have them. So that's where we are here. A lot going on in immigration news. I wanted to flag for you a Politico article we're going to link to. And sometimes they actually do, see, when they're trying to attack Trump, sometimes they actually do good 
good work by actually highlighting conservative concerns, even though they don't mean to. Missing from Trump's wall war, what immigration hawks really want. And it's interesting, they, they, they never interviewed me, but they interview people like those at Fair and Early and, you know, Mark Kerkorian, um, just how, you know, the focus on the wall is myopic. It's a part of it. But, you know, it's so many of the policies that Trump is refusing to deal with. So I actually think it's an important article we're going to we're going to um put out. But anyway, there's a lot more important things going on in this country than this stupid Cohen hearing and all this stuff around it. And you know the sad tragedy. The oversight committee has so many good guys on it. Really good guys. And the thing is, they're all taken off now. They're all knee-deep in this. So you have nobody fighting these real issues. Nobody fighting them. Just so, so frustrating. We got a lot of other small news to get to, small, big. Um, I want to point out again, Ron DeSantis... You want to talk about Make America Great Again, doing MAGA the right way? He he had a press conference today demanding legislation dealing with sanctuary counties. He's going to pick a fight on that, just like Trump should have picked a fight on it when he had control of both branches. So Ron's doing a, an equivalent on, on county level problems. Man, that guy, I wish he could run for president. That's really what we need. He really, really gets it. You know, at least for 2024, we should start start working that angle. And the thing is, this is really why Trump was elected. What DeSantis is doing now in Florida is why Trump was elected and why I believe he squandered this mandate for the first two years in office as well as the entire sycophant, phony conservative media around him. The most political capital you have is right when you come in, and especially when you come in with control of both branches, whether it's a governor in a state legislature or it's the president in Congress. And it's this type of stuff that he was elected to stop. The stolen sovereignty. It's not even conservative. It's nothing. It's, it's, we should all agree that the citizenry is being taken advantage of. How we could just come in, you have non-citizens register to vote, counted in the census, drop kids here, counted as citizens against our will. We have to fund our own invasion. We pay for the rope to hang ourselves. We're being taken advantage of. We're funding Kabul or funding Raqqa. What about taking care of the American citizenry? That's a baseline. That's the common denominator of almost all of the issues we're talking about now. What about us? You know, and again, this ties back into individual rights, BS rights versus real rights, the power of self-governance with three branches and 50 states as opposed to just the federal judiciary, and this battle really with traditional conservatives versus libertarians. I'm going to repeat it again. You know, the libertarians will accuse me of being a nationalist. 
And not, obviously, anyone who listens to this show knows we're traditional conservative constitutionalists. But the goalposts have been moved so far. A nationalist, the way it's traditionally understood, is a guy who elevates the soil and the nation state over the individual and the family. We're all about the individual and the family. But there's just a certain baseline. It's not nationalism. It's just a certain minimum that you have a civil society that forms into a state and then a country, in, in the case of America, that there are limited but very important things that the federal government and the state government needs to do, and the rest is left to the individual. And the goal of it is so that the individual and the family could prosper. But it's an understanding of that you need some government. right? This is what the libertarians never answer. They try to wrap themselves up in the Constitution, but then they don't believe in it. We do have a government, state governments and federal government. There is a reason we have government. It's not like, oh, it's just the individual. Who needs government? I'm not for limited government. I mean, of course I am, meaning relative to what we have today on net, we need much more limited government. But it's for constitutional government, the right balance. It's not a straight line. It's a peak, like we said. It's a bell curve. You got to get it right in the middle. That's what a true centrist is. The right amount of government, because if you don't have any government, unlike the, unlike the libertarians, we understand we don't live in a utopia. We have problems of criminals and people that will take advantage of us, and you need a society to get together to have a governing body to protect its members. And then once you have members to decide these issues, well, you need to have a citizenry. So therefore, you need to have parameters agreed upon by that society of who's going to vote, who's going to become a citizen, who's going to join the society. And then it's the t paramount job of that government to guard that citizenship. You have to guard it. You can't say, well, you know, there, there's a right. They're right. You, you, the, the state can't regulate and burden people, send them notices to ask for proof of citizenship. Well, by doing that, you're burdening everyone else by destroying their citizenship. This is what they're missing. The, but the problem we have now is that basically we get the worst of all worlds. When it comes to the real rights, so yeah, the libertarians, I mean, the, I mean, the ones that are at least somewhat intellectually honest, will be with us on the real rights. <clears throat> Not all of them, by the way, because they're so bought into the homosexual agenda. A lot of them are now supporting homofascism over private property. I mean, and that's the thing. When, when you say, oh, I'm for individual rights. Well, when it's a straight line and there's no limit to it, so, okay, that means I have a right to go up to you and demand that you service my my things that violate your religion and, and your conscience with your own private property. I always say nothing says libertarianism like forcing taxpayers to fund mutilation, castration operations in the military, which a lot of these libertarians support because they get a lot of money from those type of organizations. But let's just say they're intellectually honest and support real freedom of religion, private property, and self-defense. The problem is it's only them, right? The liberals obviously oppose it, and the liberals always win out because they're stronger. So we, 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 we never secure those rights. But when it comes to the BS rights, so the libertarians, which own the conservative movement, join with the left, and we have a supermajority, 
And that's how you have all these alien rights, criminal rights that don't exist. And all this BS stuff that's being created. But the common denominator is we are being taken advantage of. Everything we want to do to protect ourselves is unlawful. Everything unlawful people want to do is lawful. Everything's backwards. That's the stolen sovereignty. And all those decisions are being made. It would be bad enough if you had elected representatives voting to give aliens right and have foreign nationals vote in elections, vote down photo, photo ID requirements. But you have the unelected branch of government just unilaterally with no transparency, no rules, no system, no debate, just boom, flick of the wrist. We control all election law now. We control all immigration law. There's not a doggone thing you can do about it. Amend the Constitution if you don't like it. Meanwhile, even if we did that, they would strike it down. They would find ways to do whatever they want because we've accorded them that power. It's just so sad that this is what it's come to. Where is, who's standing up for us? All we want is a government that's going to protect our borders, our sovereignty, our franchise from foreign nationals, ripping it away from us, from criminals, cartels, terrorists. Do your simple job, have the state do its job, and then leave us alone on everything else. Then it's all about the individual, of course. That's why I reject the label of nationalist. I understand why some people like Tucker Carlson, some of our on our side are kind of embracing it, because again, it's relative to the left. They've gotten so insane, they don't believe in a nation state. So I think a lot of this is semantics, but those of us who understand what the real term means and what real conservatism means, because we're, we're grounded in the philosophy and we understand the specific issues that relate to it today. So for, for those of us that really get it, it's no enigma. You need a nation state and a civil society with the government to protect us from um from from the things that an individual can do we don't live in a utopian society madison always said when government focus on on what it should it will won't meddle into what it shouldn't but we have the exact opposite What's an unalienable right is ignored. What's a BS right that actually infringes upon the unalienable rights of, of both the individual and the society to self-govern is elevated to the highest order of law. What's a state power is given to the feds. What's a federal power is given to the states. So everything is backwards. But again, this is what Trump was supposed to change. Some of it he tried and started, but then... Here's the problem with Trump in the courts. I don't blame Trump for being the unlucky president on his watch 
where the judicial tyranny really exploded. And they went after him on things that no one else would have been shot down with. Like I said, once it happened on his watch, he had an obligation to stand up to it. Because once he didn't, now it created a baseline precedent that there's nothing stopping the courts from anything, including the most destructive policies that they're promulgating on issues that they should never have had any power and traditionally never did. That's the failure there. What's more? USA Today article today, exclusive. Pentagon spent nearly $8 million to treat 1,500 transgender troops since 2016. Pentagon has spent nearly $8 million to treat more than 1,500 transgender troops, including 161 surgical procedures, according to data obtained by USA Today. I mean, am I living in the twilight zone? Does, does one need to be a religious, Christian, religious Jew, hyper-religious to, to appreciate this problem? I mean... Could, could we just be scientific here? I, I'm not understanding. If if I would go into the military and say, I want you to cut my arm off, would we call that a surgical procedure? Would we indulge it? Would we accommodate it? Would we pay for it? And then keep you in the military while doing it? If anything, when you cut someone's balls off, that more systemically affects the body than than an extremity. So I just don't I mean I mean but but this is where we are as a society now. As of February 1st, 1071 service members have been diagnosed with gender dysphoria in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard and Public Health Service on active duty and the reserve force. <laughs> so th- th- this is what continues. Under this administration. Again, stolen sovereignty. Who would have ever decided? I mean, just from a national security standpoint, from a combat readiness standpoint, from a, a danger standpoint of you know handle handling munitions when you know you have gender dysphoria. Their own organizations cry out for help and admit that they have a lot of suicide problems. Any other mental illness would disqualify you for good re- good reason. But this is what happens. Everything is for protected groups. The only group that's not protected is the run-of-the-mill American that's not asking for sex change operations. They're not asking even for welfare. They just want safety and security taken care of. They want their citizenship to be protected. They don't want to be taken advantage of and just leave them alone and let them prosper. That's all they want. It's unbelievable. That is all they want. So, so sad. It's all this social transformation without representation. Much more severe than the impetus for the the Revolutionary War, which was over taxation without representation. 
I, I deal with that any day over social transformation without representation. There's a lot of border news we didn't have time to get to. But in the Del Rio sector, at Eagle Pass, a group of 90 crossed the Rio Grande River to most of them Honduran nationals to you know, come over. So now the caravans are coming over. And among them was a pregnant woman. Um, she ultimately gave birth and it was a stillborn. And it's sad. And of course, we're going to get, you know, they had to be all defensive about it as if like it's our fault. But imagine, I mean, if that baby would have been born, think about this philosophically. We are being told by the political elites that it's in our constitution. That someone could rush across the border, and if we can't like push them back, and I guess they're saying we're not allowed to push them back, they could drop a baby, and boom, it's a citizen. There's not a darn thing we want to do. I mean, what if an ISIS family comes across and drops a baby? Is, is there any limit to this whatsoever? Our history, tradition, constitution, and law is unconstitutional. What's antithetical to it is in the constitution, and we just accept the premise because we have such low expectations. We don't have a vision of what we want and are, are not willing to fight for it and don't recognize the force-multiplying problems such as the courts, election law, immigration law that's killing us, killing our society. I just can't understand it. I can't relate to it. Speaking of Honduras, you know, you know what's... Um, Interesting. I might try to put together some graphics for this. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. So USA Today has another article out that Baltimore is now the most dangerous city in America. So that's that's what I got to deal with here. Most dangerous city in America. Now, we've heard, we've been lied to and told that all these people are coming from El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala because they're fleeing violence, right? That, that's the what the media is telling us. Now, as you guys well know, those of you who have listened to the show for a while, that is not grounds for asylum because you know again that would rope in many many people unfortunately there's there's a lot of strife and chaos and violence and civil war in many many different parts of the world so yeah that would rope in a lot an awful lot of people the law is very clear you know you are being persecuted because you're an ethnic minority religious minority or because of your political views or some sort of member of a social group that is exactly what asylum is. Now, we know in Central America, it's a very homogenous place. No one's being individually persecuted. It's just, okay, it's, it's, it's a violent place. I get it. I understand it. I totally get it. Makes sense. Makes sense you don't want to come here. But that's not grounds for asylum. But the thing is, 
they're not coming because of violence. They're coming for them because of the magnets. They're coming. Some want jobs. Some want welfare. Family reunification with other illegals already here, and things like birthright citizenship. That's why they're coming. How do I know? Because there's an inverse relationship between the rates of violence and the rates of migration. Perfectly inverse. The homicide rates have actually been cut in half over the last five years while immigration has skyrocketed. And then the funny thing is the country that is the lowest level of violence relatively is Guatemala. By far, it has the most. El Salvador has the highest rate of homicide. And, you know, by far... it has the fewest migrants. In other words, most of them now are, uh, for, for example, in um, if you just look at the family units from FY 2018, 50,000 were from Guatemala, 39,000 from Honduras, and 13,000 from El Salvador. So it's, it's a total lie. Total, total lie. Now, what is what is utterly amazing, and this is going to knock your socks off. It's going to knock your socks off. Baltimore's homicide rate last year was 56. 56 per 100,000 people. Do you know what the homicide rate was in Guatemala? 27. 27. Now, the, I, j- just to be careful here, um, it's, not, it's not 100% apples and apples. The international data I'm going to give you is from 2016 from the World Bank. Baltimore is 2017, but it's, you know, it's roughly the same for all these countries. If anything, um, Baltimore is going up, and these other places are going down. 27. I want you to think about that for a minute. We're told that they're coming here and some of the worst sanctuary cities that are absorbing them have twice the homicide rate, twice the homicide rate of Guatemala, which is the country where most of them are coming from. What a lie. El Salvador is still more than Baltimore. Honduras, um, it's going down. It's going down very quick. I'm trying to get if I have... Um, yeah, it's 56 in Honduras for 2016. So that's exactly the same. But I think for 2017, it was probably lower. I don't know if anyone has that data on Honduras yet for 2017. I think, I think it's out there somewhere. I got to dig it up. But that is unbelievable and why well a you know we have our own inherent problems in the inner cities they're dumpster fires but particularly these sanctuary cities as i noted a lot of the violence certain extent in baltimore certainly in places like chicago is from the transnational gangs of people from central america that's the irony we're not being a refuge 
to those seeking violence. We're bringing the violence in our country. It's unbelievable how we're being taken advantage of. And these are all the things that aren't discussed. And we don't have anyone pushing the policies. Anyone pushing the policies forward because we're all focused on Michael Cohen. And of course, at CPAC, there's going to be no vision on this. I want to give you guys some news. Not that it's going to go anywhere, but Senator Tom Cotton introduced Singe's Law. Remember Officer Singe, the small town California legal immigrant, naturalized citizen, um, sheriff's deputy who was killed, or police corporal Ronald Singe. Remember he was killed in the line of duty by someone affiliated with a transnational gang who was deported a number of times. He had two. He was arrested for two DUIs, wasn't given over to ICE. Um, it was my idea. I gave it to their office. Now, the bill was really watered down from, you know, what I called for, but I'll take it. At least call, call for a vote on it. This is uh, Nate Madden. My colleague wrote this up. The proposed legislation, according to information from Senator Cotton's office, sent to Blaze Media ahead of the bill's introduction, would declare ties to a criminal gang combined with any criminal conviction to be grounds for inadmissibly, inadmissibility to the United States and grounds for removal. It would bar any known gang members from qualifying for asylum. And would empower the Secretary of Homeland Security to designate gangs un- under the Immigration Nationality Act. It's kind of a, it's a lot more limited. You know, I wanted to mandate any deportation of an illegal, um, arrested, not convicted, but arrested for DUI. Because again, illegals that weren't arrested for anything could be thrown out. So. You know, also there's a Ronald Singe Memorial Justice Assistance Grant program they created that would provide local law enforcement with 200 million in grants um, to help out law enforcement. But in order to qualify, they would have to fully cooperate with immigration authorities. So, in other words, rather than punishing them and taking away what they already have, they created a new carrot and said, "You can get it if you qualify." Look, I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm hemming and hawing here a little bit. I'm not criticizing Senator Cotton here. I'm glad he did it. But if you see the original co-sponsors, he has Chuck Grassley, Marsha Blackburn, Tom Tillis, and Kevin Kramer. A lot of rhinos in there. And I get it. He wanted to get them on board. And that's fine. But, like, so I understand if there's one thing, if they're going to take this bill to the floor tomorrow, talk about Ronald Singe, talk about sanctuary cities, I'm all for it. But it's, it's not going to see the light of day on the floor. McConnell's thing is, well, Democrats won't support it, so I won't bring it for a vote because why waste floor time? Well, you idiot, you slam it on the floor and you shame them. That's the only way you're going to get anywhere. I mean, so like, you know, what I told them, my philosophy is, look, if it's for messaging, make it clear. I understand if you really, if it's a real live ball and you think you're going to get the rhinos on board and you're going to try to really have a flo- floor action on this, fine, I, I get watering it down. But I'm not seeing any signs of that. But just so you know about know about this, Singe's Law. So finally, a fraction of an idea of mine was at least introduced after so many months. But 
Now, obviously, when you name it after someone, you have to um, get their permission. I know that took a little bit of time. I don't know. A lot more going on. A lot of things that are more important than Michael Cohen. And it all revolves around their stolen sovereignty. There also is important news. Quarter four GDP was finally published. It was 2.6% for that quarter, making the entire year of 2018 2.9%. What did I tell you, folks? I said, because of the debt, because of Obamacare, because of the misallocation of resources and dependency, we have a permanently lethargic economy that even at the best job market period of prosperity, we will never get over 3% growth again. Not bad. 2.9% for a year is better than it's been in 13 years. But keep in mind, the job market has never been this good since the late 90s or perhaps the late 60s. So... And and things are already sliding back because we had that one good quarter. You know, it was only um, we had two quarters of three percent, one of four percent, and then the last fourth quarter was two point six percent. Nobody thinks that currently this quarter we're in is going to be three percent, to my knowledge. So I mean, that big boom is over with. So if that's the best we can do after all that stagnation for a decade, that ain't good. Until we truly have a free market economy and get rid of the debt, or at least mitigate it, this is where we're going to be at. Again, if if we would always be this way, it's not bad. But this is the best we can do. I always bring the analogy of going on a road trip. And you know, you got the open areas in the rural areas with no traffic. Then you get the urban areas where you're going to have stop and go. You really need to floor it in the areas where you can to make up for that ground if you want to you know, get there in time, if you want to get, get to your destination because you're inevitably going to run across rough, rough patches. And that's the problem. It's 2.9% growth for the best job year. I mean, that that's historically not in sync with what the growth usually is for, for an economy, for, for a job market that that's great. So um, that's where we are. Anyway, uh, send me your your concerns, your comments. Look, the good news is Blaze Media traffic has now grown exponentially. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I wanted to tell you the good good news of our company because um, obviously we need to get, get the truth out to people. So the Blaze's audience surged 143% over last year. 143%. We are now the number two. The Blaze is now the number two right-wing site behind Fox News. It's head of Washington Examiner, Breitbart, Washington Times, Daily Caller, National Review. So, look, keep keep uh, keep supporting us. Keep um, your subs- your subscriptions because this is where it's at. I don't know where else we're gonna get the truth out because everyone is just so distracted. You know, so we have different venues. We have different show hosts. We have different focuses. We have the blazes print site. We have conservative review, which is our own kind of smaller niche, but it's all important. But again, we can't lose sight of where we are on the most important challenges that actually matter. 
We could sit and fight over Michael Cohen all we want. But the left, with their policies, with their budgets, with their deep state, with their shallow state, with the judiciary, with their nonprofits and foundations, they are accomplishing everything they want to accomplish while we squabble over the soap opera. So, you know, they'll have their people commentating on Michael Cohen. We'll have ours commentating on Michael Cohen, except the difference is they also have their operational people getting done their policies. We don't. Why? Because we don't have a destination. We don't even know where we want to get to. And that's what we need to continue developing. That's why we're here on this show, Conservative Conscience, Conservative Review, Blaze Media, some of my colleagues. We're going to keep growing this this company, because again, if you don't get your news from a couple of places, there really is nowhere to go for the truth. And that's what we're striving for, the truth, the absolute truth. So help me God. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.